Good morning, Four Oaks Church. It's Wednesday, February 28th. I was going to say the last day of February, but no, no, this is leap year. So we have a February 29th, I believe. Let me just double check and make sure that's right. Yep, that, that, that's exactly right. I should not doubt myself about these things. Anyway, so glad that you were here for this round of our pastoral devotionals. We are looking at a text of scripture, uh, Matthew 17, the transfiguration. It's um, such a notable passage that when we think about all the things that the Apostle Peter could have um, talked about or, or recounted in his letters uh, about his time with Jesus, I mean, let's just think about the greatest hits of things Peter observed. He saw Jesus walked on water, walk on water. He walked on water, albeit briefly, but he walked on water. He saw feeding of the 5,000. He saw the raising of Lazarus. But, but Peter mentions none of these things in his epistles. He only mentions one incident in his ministry time with Jesus, and it's here in Matthew chapter 17, the transfiguration. So let's read it, and we'll pick back up where we left off yesterday. And after six days, Jesus took with him Peter and James and John, his brother, and led them up a high mountain by themselves. And he was transfigured before them, and his face shone like the sun, and his clothes became white as light. And behold, there appeared to them Moses and Elijah talking with him. And Peter said to Jesus, Lord, it is good that we are here. If you wish, I will make three tents here, one for you and one for Moses and one for Elijah. He was still speaking when, behold, a bright cloud overshadowed them, and a voice from the cloud said, This is my beloved Son, with whom I am well pleased. Listen to him. When the disciples heard this, they fell on their faces and were terrified. But Jesus came and touched them, saying, Rise and have no fear. And when they lifted up their eyes, they saw no one but Jesus only. And as they were coming down the mountain, Jesus commanded them, Tell no one the vision until the Son of Man is raised from the dead. And the disciples asked him, then why did the scribes say that Elijah, that first Elijah must come? And he answered, Elijah does come and he will restore all things. But I tell you that Elijah has already come and they did not recognize him, but did to him whatever they pleased. So also the son of man will certainly suffer at their hands. Then the disciples understood that he was speaking to them of John the Baptist. So yesterday, we really focused on Jesus here, which makes sense. He's the central point of the whole story. But specifically, what this transfiguration or glorification was communicating to Peter, James, and John, and of course, to those who, who, who would read this later at Matthew's hand. And the reality is, is that Matthew, in the most explicit way, and really, he's just recording what happened, but Jesus is being identified in the most explicit way possible with God himself. The, the smoke, the mountain, the presence of Moses, um, the, the blinding light, the glorification, all of these things make what we've been told already, but in a crystal clear fashion, that Jesus is in fact God. He's not just a messenger of God. He is God. He is Yahweh. He is the Lord. And he is Yahweh the Lord now in human form as the God-man. And this is what this is meant to communicate. Now, 
what I think is interesting is who it is that's witnessing um, this, um, this transfiguration. So it talks about Moses, Elijah, Peter, James, and John. The fact that Jesus brings Peter, James, and John with him, it seems to be a pretty clear indication that this transfiguration is for them. The fact that he tells them not to tell anyone until after he's raised from the dead, um, I think more has to do with the mission of the Messiah. Um, they, they, they still, the public, the other disciples still would not have fully understood how it is that Yahweh, God, uh, Jesus now who's been transfigured, how he could go on to die, that would not have computed. So I think that's what that warning is about. But, but, but it, it's clear that this is meant to be a testimony, a marker. In fact, it, was such, it left such an indelible impression on Peter. It's the thing that he refers to in 2 Peter chapter 1. And so I think this is why the disciples are there to bear witness to the fact that this indeed is Yahweh. Now, why are Moses and Elijah here? What, 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 what is going on with that reference? And let me just point out a couple of things. First of all, um, Moses and Elijah, it makes sense that they are there from a theological messianic perspective. And here's what I mean. Moses had predicted in Deuteronomy 18 that there was going to be another prophet who would come after him, who would be greater than him. Elijah, um, in turn, had been predicted in Malachi to be one who would come back and foretell, be a forerunner of the last days, of the Messiah in the last days. So, so they're there because they both represent a messianic expectation, a messianic fulfillment, okay? But the similarities don't stop there. Both Moses and Elijah met God on a mountain. Uh, remember, it was Moses at the end of his, well, I mean, of course, Moses met God on Mount Sinai, okay? Um, and of course, Elijah met Moses, met God on Mount Sinai. Remember um, that that is where um, Elijah retreated when he was being hunted down by Jezebel. And so both Elijah and Moses um, met God on a mountain, okay, with God speaking to them. But they also share this particular um, circumstance about their lives. Not only did they both meet God on the mountain, but they both met God on a mountain as part of the disappointment or broken dreams that each of them shared um, as part of their ministry. And, and let me explain. Each of them had a very unusual end of lives, right? So we know that Elijah was caught up in a chariot and taken to heaven. We know that Moses was buried by God. But both of those events were preceded by some massive disappointments for both of these servants. Remember, Moses was told by God, you're not going into the promised land. I'm going to bring you up here to the mountain, and I'm going to show you the promised land. You can look at it, but you just can't go there. And Moses dies with this dream unfulfilled. Elijah, on the other hand, had seen spectacular ministry success. Remember where he defeated the prophets of Baal and fire came down from heaven. 
But what happened immediately after that, that glorious spiritual high that he had on Mount Carmel? Well, Jezebel resolved to hunt him down and kill him anyway. And when Elijah flees, it's not just out of fear that Elijah flees the sword of Jezebel. He, he's fleeing because he's in despair. He really felt like this was going to be the time where God visited Israel, ushered in revival, and the people of God turned back to Yahweh. But as we know, that's not what happened. And so where does Elijah flee? He flees to Mount Sinai. And so, so God finds Elijah, God finds Moses um, in their ministries on mountains, on the hills of severe personal disappointments. And now here we have them once again talking to Jesus. And I think there's got to be some significance of that. But the first thing we have to ask is, well, what are they talking about? Well, the fact that the disciples were able to identify these two figures as Elijah and Moses, remember, how would they do that? There, were no, there was no Snapchat. There was no Instagram. There was no digital photos. Um, there was no drawings or paintings. They must have been able to identify them with what they were saying. And we don't know exactly what Jesus was saying to them, but clearly, okay, he is talking about, um, because they're, they're witnessing the transfiguration as well, um, they are now getting a glimpse of what Jesus's ministry has been about for the whole time. Remember, they longed to see the glorified Lord but they died before the dream had reached their fulfillment. Well, now they're seeing him. Now they're seeing him face to face. And I can imagine Jesus, in essence, revealing to them, this is what it was all about. This is what your dreams were. This is the in fulfillment of your dreams. That, that all everything you did, Moses, everything you did, Elijah, in your earthly ministry was to prepare me for this time, prepare the way for me in this time, in this place, and in this way. This is what I've come to do. And I, I think this is a real means of grace to them, to, to give them a glimpse of what their earthly ministries were all about. That they, that, that while they may have thought that their earthly dreams had been terminated, broken, unfulfilled, Jesus wants to show them there is a better way. And I think this is going to serve that same purpose to Peter and the disciples, that they are going to have to come off this mountain. Jesus is going to continue his journey and trek to Jerusalem to die. And I think it's this vision that the disciples will come back to over and over and over again in the coming days to remind them that Jesus's path had to be the path of suffering, that the path of suffering is the path to glory. And it's going to be on that note that we pick things up tomorrow and try to understand a little better why Peter's request to build these three tabernacles or houses. What, what, what is that about? Um, why did God show up to, to tell them to listen to his son? That's what we're going to pick about up tomorrow. But for today, let me just end with this. This side of heaven, we cannot see clearly. 
this side of heaven, we must walk by faith. This side of heaven, we don't know um, how God is using all the disappointments, broken dreams in our lives to fulfill his purpose. But here's, here's the point of this passage, or one of the points, he is. And we can trust him in that. All of his promises to us find their yes and amen in Jesus. That, that regardless of how dark and foreboding circumstances and events of this life might seem, God is in control, and he says, I've got this, just trust in me, follow me, I'm accomplishing my plan. All right, thanks for joining us. Let me pray, and we'll be back here first thing tomorrow. Lord, thanks for this time. Thanks for your word. Thanks for just the humanness of the people in your word. They're real people with real feelings and emotions, and you love them and meet them and give them your grace. And Lord, we pray that you do the same for us. Turn our eyes and our hearts towards you, even in the midst of broken dreams and disappointments that we can't understand. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Thanks everybody, see you tomorrow.